At a Sunday church service, a very wealthy man was asked to share his testimony. So he stood and he says, I'm a millionaire. And I attribute it all to the rich blessing of God in my life. I can still remember the turning point in my faith like it was yesterday. I had just earned my first dollar. And I went to a church meeting that night. And the speaker preached on generosity. I knew that I only had one dollar and had to either give it all to God's work or give nothing at all. So at that moment, I decided to give my whole dollar to God. I believe God blessed that decision, and that's why I'm a wealthy man today. Of course, as he finished, everyone applauded clearly moved by the man's testimony. As he walked off the platform, a little old lady was sitting on the front pew and she shouted out, wonderful story, I dare you to give it all away again. Last week, we launched a series entitled Dollars and Cents, A Biblical Approach to Finances. It's very important that the church address the issue of finances from a biblical perspective because there's a lot more at stake than our money, our families, our peace of mind. The kingdom's work is at stake in how we handle our finances. Over the course of this series, we're going to be addressing several themes that relate to money that are found in Scripture that I believe will help us as followers of Jesus honor him with our attitudes and our actions concerning money. So last time, which was a couple of weeks ago, we began with the theme of lordship. Establishing, we said, a foundation that the other principles build on. And we said this, a lack of faithful giving is not a money problem. Lack of faithful giving is not a money problem. Lack of faithful giving is a lordship problem. It's a heart issue, not a wallet bank account issue. And so what I'm hoping that we will see and embrace through this series is simply this. That it is only when our financial priorities align with kingdom priorities Will we handle our finances in a way that declares that Jesus is the Lord of our lives? So today we are addressing our second theme, the theme of generosity. And we're going to look today to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're just going to read verses 13 to 15, but spend time in the chapter as a whole today. Paul is writing here, and he said, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality, as it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Now, in this chapter, Paul is making an offering appeal to the Corinthian church. And he's building a case for the Corinthian church to exercise generosity. And I want us to consider three main points that he highlights in this passage. The first one 
is need. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and he's desiring them to give generously. Not for themselves, not for his personal ministry, but he's appealing to them on behalf of the poverty-stricken saints in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the mother church, if you will, of the New Testament church. It's the mother church of Christianity as we know it. It was formed out of that initial outpouring and excitement on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit was poured out upon them. And then Peter stood and preached and we see that 3,000 came to faith in that one day and thousands were saved after that in the Jerusalem area. Now there were realities and consequences for Jews becoming followers of Jesus in acknowledging Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah. And those implications resulted in extreme poverty for many of these new followers of Jesus. There were social implications. They were seen as traitors, blasphemers to mainstream Judaism. They were seen as as just being out there on a limb, radicals. And so because of that, they were rejected within their communities and within their faith community because they were seen as radicals. There are economic implications. It's interesting to note that most of the wealthy people in Scripture lived inside the city walls. And the poor people lived outside the city walls on the farmland. But the farmland primarily is owned by the wealthy religious people who lived inside the cities. And these poor farmers farmed the land on behalf of the wealthy religious people who lived inside the city. These families worked together in clans, worked the fields to earn enough to survive. Well, the followers of Jesus were seen by the religious leaders as traitors to the Jewish faith. And as a result, many of them lost their livelihood. They're no longer allowed to work the land. Therefore, now there is no means to care for your family and earn a living. And it had relational implications. Many people were rejected by their families because the family as a whole were were committed to mainstream Judaism. And all of a sudden you have members of the family who are a part of this radical group that are following this Jesus. And because these families worked the land together to save their livelihood, they would have to reject these family members who are creating the issues. Let's get the problem out of the way so these wealthy landowners don't come and and push all of us out of our jobs. And so losing your family and losing your livelihood went hand in hand. It came with great price. In the book of Acts, we see the church community stepping up to these problems. They're rallying around one another. We're seeing that there's a statement that people were selling their possessions, everything that they had, to give to those and share with those who had need. By AD 32, things were so bad that the apostles decided that they needed to create a means for widows and orphans specifically to be taken care of because they were in such dire circumstances. And so they appointed seven elders that would primarily look after widows and orphans. In AD 37, Paul came to Jerusalem to visit the church as a follower of Jesus for the first time. 
And as he came to the church, he noticed and recognized the extreme poverty that was happening amongst the believers there. And so when he left Jerusalem and he traveled to many places and and preached in their different churches, he would share the circumstances of the poor in Jerusalem with the churches he visited, trying to create a, a generosity and a care and a concern among the churches. In AD 46, he's so moved that he actually comes back and revisits Jerusalem with Barnabas and brings money to help them. Earlier, the Corinthian church that we're looking at today was one of the churches that Paul had visited. He stood one day when they were meeting and he shared about the needs in the Jerusalem church. And they were moved by his appeal. And they agreed to Paul and they said, listen, we're going to raise money, we're going to take an offering, and we're going to help meet the needs. So just give us some time and we're going to get that money together and we're going to help our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. But then there was an interruption. Shortly after committing to the offering, some false apostles came through Corinth in Paul's absence. And they denounced Paul. They said, you know what? He's not even a real apostle. He calls himself an apostle, but he's not a real apostle. And so they led the church away from the things that Paul had been teaching them. And the fallout of that was they ended up not sending the offering that they committed to sending. Now, fortunately, in time, these false apostles were exposed and they moved on. And the confidence in Paul's integrity was restored, but the offering was never collected. It was never sent to Jerusalem. So Paul is writing to them in this chapter, appealing to them to follow through on the commitment that they had previously made. And he reminds them that they should give generously because they said they would. Because they said they would. They'd made a commitment, they'd given their word, and they should follow through on what they said. The need in Jerusalem was so intensifying as time went on that money was needed now more than ever. The second thing Paul addresses is means. Paul makes it clear in his letter that he doesn't intend their giving to cause hardship for them. And so to bring assistance to the church in Jerusalem at the cost of creating hardship in Corinth, well, that wouldn't make any sense, he says. Why would I want to help Jerusalem if it was to damage and destroy you? He says, what I'm looking for here is, I'm just looking for equality. Corinth, in comparison to Jerusalem, well, they had plenty. They have the necessary resources to not only look after themselves, but to help the Jerusalem church. And so because they can, Paul says they should. And so to strengthen his position, he quotes Exodus chapter 16. Now, Exodus chapter 16 is a reference to the daily gathering of manna by the Israelites in the wilderness under the leadership of Moses. God is leading the Israelites through the wilderness and taking them to the land that he had promised Abraham that would be their land, their time. The problem is, there's no food source in the wilderness. And so the people are complaining, they're hungry, they they need something to eat. And so we're told that God provided something named manna. It was bread from heaven to feed his people. Each day when the family 
awoke, they would go out and find this manna on the ground all around them. And they would just gather up what they needed for that day. Now, some of them gathered a lot. And others gathered little because some of them were too young to gather or some of them were too old to gather. Some of them were too sick or some of them were disabled and so they couldn't. But they all brought their manna together and they divided it equally amongst themselves and all of them got what they needed for the day. Now, some people got greedy and they gathered more than they needed. But they discovered when they woke up the next day that the manna from the previous day had been decayed. It was ruined. It was no good. And so God communicated three key principles to the Israelites in this time that Paul is now bringing to their remembrance as he's teaching this church in Corinth about what they can do, the means that they have. And so the three basic principles are these. Gather what you can. Whatever you can gather, gather it. Secondly, share with those in need. If you're able to gather more than you need, and there are others who are not able to gather as much as they need, share out of what you have gathered. And the third principle is, don't hoard God's blessing. Because if you do, even though you think you're getting ahead, you will never be any further ahead than you were the day before. Wow, these are some powerful principles. God had blessed Corinth, and as a result, they were able to gather much. They were able to gather more than they needed. And now they needed to share with those who are not able to gather what they needed. And the purpose of God's blessing in this scenario was that they would not hoard it up for themselves. They should give because God had provided them the means to give, the means to be generous. The third thing Paul addresses is response. Paul makes it clear. He doesn't want to command them to give. That'd be pointless. That would be pointless. He's, he's urging them to give as a reflection of the sincerity of their love. Love flows from relationship. You can't make someone love you. You can't mandate love. You can't make someone have relationship with you. And you can't mandate generosity. And so Paul wants to paint a picture of truth for them that will inspire them to be generous. And so in painting this picture, there are some things he wants them to see. First, he wants them to see that they're blessed. They're blessed. Because of the faithfulness of these Jerusalem believers who are now in dire need, the message of the gospel of Jesus went out beyond Jerusalem and has touched those in Corinth. They are the recipients of a gospel that was only possible because Jerusalem believers suffered and paid the price. Had they not suffered and paid the price, the people in Corinth would never have known the power of the gospel. And Paul says, look at you. You're excelling in your faith. You're excelling in salvation. People are being saved. You're excelling in your speech. 
You're communicating the truth. You're preaching the gospel. You're excelling in your knowledge. You're learning so much about Jesus and the kingdom. You're excelling in the gifts of the Spirit. When you gather, it is obvious that the Holy Spirit is operating in your gathering. You're excelling in love for each other. And he says, now I want you to add one more thing to all the things you're excelling in. Because even though you're excelling in all of those, there's one lacking. And he challenges them. See to it that you also excel in the grace of giving. In generosity. Because Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. They have been blessed. And he says, in return, you need to bless others. Secondly, less, others less fortunate are giving. He draws their attention to the giving of another church that he's visited in Macedonia. And he says, the grace of God in that little church had created such a spirit of generosity that it's just changing this Macedonian church. He says, in that little church, the joy of their salvation in Jesus had inspired them to generosity. The Macedonians are not giving out of their excess wealth or their prosperity or without sacrifice. He says, he says they're, they're poor. And he describes their poverty. He says, they're on rock bottom. It's extreme. They're destitute. In fact, the words that Paul uses here are the same words that you would use to describe a beggar who's sitting on the side of the road. That's the word he uses to describe the financial scenario of this church. A beggar who had nothing, who had no hope of ever getting anything more than staying alive. True generosity, Paul is teaching here, is not giving out of your excess. And it's not measured by how much you have, which Jesus also taught. True Christian generosity is measured in terms of sacrifice. What did it cost you? What did it cost you? They gave of their own free will. The Macedonian little church, they'd never met these Jerusalem believers before. They don't know what they look like. They've never talked to them. They've never spent time with them. But they heard Paul's appeal, and the Spirit of God moved them, and they cared about these people. And Paul said, they literally begged me for the opportunity to give. I can just imagine it going something like this. Paul, we want to send an offering. Guys, (laughs) you can't send an offering. You don't, you don't have anything here. I need to get an offering for you. And he's like, they're like, no, please, Paul, please, please, please let us do it. Others less fortunate were giving. And thirdly, Paul talks about the grace of Jesus. Jesus was rich, but for them he became poor. He set aside the royalty of heavenly majesty. He set aside the position of honor. He set aside the power. And he took on flesh. And he lived among us. And he gave his life for us. And Paul says the reason was through his poverty. Through laying all of that aside. That they might be rich. 
Not rich financially, but rich in their relationship with God. Rich in salvation, not with money. Jesus set the example of the ultimate sacrifice, of the ultimate generosity. He is modeling for every believer how giving and generosity should work. One of the most popular scriptures known amongst believers and non-believers present at every football game on TV is John 3.16. Most kids can quote it frontwards and backwards, at least in the King James Version, right? It's one of the most popular. And what does that little verse that's so powerful say? That God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. Because sacrificial giving is at the heart of grace. Sacrificial giving is at the heart of salvation. Sacrificial giving is what it means to be a follower and provides means to be a follower of Jesus. And so whatever they do in terms of giving, whether it's a little or a lot, Jesus has already surpassed anything that they could ever do in their lives. They should give generously because Jesus gave generously for them. So, how about us? Well, there are three things that I want to apply to our lives in this message today. Celebration. As I personally reflect on what God is doing here at Evangel and where God is leading us as a church, folks, i got to be honest with you, I can't help but be overwhelmed by the faithfulness and the goodness of God. I'm overwhelmed by the faithfulness and goodness of God. Now, I will admit something, confession for you this morning. Because I'm a leader, I'm naturally drawn to critiquing scenarios, events, ministries, with the goal of finding ways to improve next time to strive for excellence because I believe God deserves the best that we can bring. We not, may not be the best, but we should always bring our best, right? And so I just naturally am drawn to critique. Now, the downside of striving for excellence is that I sometimes lose sight of the positive things because, not because I don't appreciate them, But they're already good. So let's not focus on those. Let's just focus on the things that need work. But the truth is, we need to focus on both. We need to take the time to reflect, see, appreciate, and celebrate the good things God is already doing through our lives and through our church. And so today, I want to celebrate. I want to celebrate the desire and the support in this church for spiritual formation. I want to celebrate that people sincerely want to grow in their relationship with Jesus. I want to celebrate that people in this church want to be a true apprentice of Jesus. I want to celebrate that people want to make other apprentices for Jesus. I want to celebrate that the number of small groups has increased significantly over the past few years, and I believe will continue to increase as you who are not yet participating come on board. 
And we're seeing, we're celebrating an increasing number of participants coming to these small groups. I want to celebrate that we have a leadership base in this church that desires to be trained, to, to be invested in, so they can be the best leaders for Jesus that they can be, that they don't have the attitude, I already know it all, I've been there, I've heard all this before, but they're saying, no, pastor, help us be the best leaders we can in the kingdom of God. I celebrate that today. Today I celebrate evangels increasing involvement and impact in our community. Helping the poor. Working alongside Restore Canada. Other local churches of different denominations in our community. With the Kerr Street Mission and other agencies within the community. So we can provide not just band-aid in the moment handouts. But we can help people get the long-term care they need so that they can get their lives together and not live forever in these circumstances. I celebrate today that EPC is fighting human trafficking, not somewhere else in the world, but in our community through education and awareness and assistance for those who have been trapped in trafficking, who are slaves to trafficking, who are coming out and are being rescued. Evangel is on the front lines of helping in all of these areas. I celebrate today that Evangel is hosting events that touch families in our immediate neighborhood, building relationships with them. Today I celebrate our children's ministry, ministering to our children on Sunday right now while we're in here, but reaching at least maybe more of the same number of neighborhood children on a Wednesday night that will never be here on Sunday morning. I celebrate our summer day camp that runs for seven weeks each summer, summer at capacity, primarily with children from the community. Today, I celebrate the growth of our youth ministry that seamlessly chose to create a ministry that bridges the children that graduate from our children's Wednesday kids' night out into our junior high program. I celebrate the increasing involvement of our youth, that we don't have to wait to a special Sunday to see the visibility of youth in our church, but on any given Sunday morning, they're in the tech, they're on the greeting on the doors, they're in the worship band, they're teaching in our ministries, that we don't, there's an increasing involvement and visibility of our youth in the everyday ministry of our church. I celebrate today. Today I celebrate a church that lives true community, and we heard about it earlier. Praise for one another encourages each other, visits one another, loves each other, helps each other. The truth is, by the grace of God, we have much to celebrate in this congregation. God is doing great things among us. God is doing great things in us. God is doing great things through us. And I want you to hear today that I am personally very proud of this church. And I'm excited about what God is doing here. We celebrate. Now that being said, there are challenges. While there are many things to celebrate, there are many challenges before us that we have to be aware of, that we have to be concerned about, that we have to be ready as a church family to respond to. The first one is our summer day camp. Since the beginning of creating our summer day camp, we have relied on the grants from the federal government to hire students to work in our camps. Approximately $14,000 last year was given to us by the government to hire staff to run our camp. 
The Canadian government made changes to the application process this year with the one attempt being to have all groups to receive money from the federal government would have to align with the values of our current government on many of the social issues that are relevant in today's culture. Now, most faith groups were not comfortable checking the box on the application because it's a violation of our biblical values and our charter rights as Canadians. Now, I'm not using my pulpit for political reasons this morning. There's a ministry story in here. Now, while we respect the rights of all Canadians, and this church does, and our desire is to minister to the needs of anyone that we have the opportunity to minister to, regardless of their choices, values, or lifestyles, we were not comfortable signing a document that violated our biblical values and charter rights. Well, what's the fallout? Well, we didn't check the box and our application was denied because we modified the document. When you add the recent significant increase to minimum wage in Ontario to the formula, EPC is going into this summer camp with a shortfall of $20,000 that we will have to cover ourselves to carry the camp forward. Camp must go on. Now, we can cut a few expenses here and there. We can increase costs a little, but we can't even come close to covering the shortfall within our camp. That's one of our challenges. Another challenge is changing times. Truth is, for the most part, regular, consistent givers of tithes and offerings are usually the older members of the congregation. doesn't matter where you go. And as they retire, their incomes become reduced, which impacts the amount and their ability to give. Some of them are retiring in less expensive places. So they're moving out of places like where we live, which is very expensive, and they're moving to new areas, and as a result of that, they're leaving the church, and their giving goes to the new church in the new town that they live in. Some of them are moving on to heaven. Statistically, in comparison, today's younger generation is not as committed to consistent tithing and giving, but rather tend to respond to projects, events, and one-time presentations. And so the fallout is that you have an aging population when we're seeing decline in regular tithes and offerings because of the reasons I outlined, and you have a new generation coming in behind, that's, and the result is a declining tithing base, decreasing missions giving, and reduction in the number of missionaries that we can support, and even in the level of support that we can give them. That's the second reality. A third reality is new ministry. We are here to keep building and growing the kingdom. New ministry costs new money. And so God is opening the doors for us. God is leading us into new opportunities to build his kingdom in this community. But without adequate resources... We're not able to take on new initiatives because if you look closely at our recent financial statement, as of now, we are not even reaching our targets for 2018. So we can't undertake new initiatives when our giving trend suggests that we can't even afford what we already have. We just can't. Now, I'm not trying to depress anyone. Anyone here need a hug? I'm not trying to depress anyone. 
But I want to be realistic this morning. My job as the pastor is to help keep reality in front of us. There's much to celebrate here. God is doing great things in and through our church, but there are some significant challenges that we're going to need to address and overcome if we're going to do what it is God is calling us to do as we move forward. Thirdly, aren't you glad we're off that one? Consistency. Folks, we're a part of something at EPC that has generosity embedded in our very DNA. This church started with the significant sacrifice of a handful of dedicated people who gave their time and gave their money because they believed that Evangel had a future in building God's kingdom in Oakville. They were visionaries. They showed us how serious they were with personal financial sacrifice. They weren't just giving from what they had. They were borrowing to give it. Now, many times along the way, under different great leaders in this church, this congregation has stepped out in faith, taking on what seemed impossible because they believed God was in it. We were generous through the years. Many were generous through the years, and their generosity resulted in the building of God's kingdom, both globally, locally but globally. Despite our declining missions giving, Last year, we still were in the top 100 PAOC churches in missions giving. I don't know whether to celebrate that or feel bad for the rest of them. I don't know if it means we give a lot or just everybody else gives a little. I think there might be two sides to that celebration. But now it's our turn. It's our turn. We can watch this slowly wind down. We can watch it fade away. Or we can step up and we can believe that EPC's best years can be now. That the future is still bright and our best years are still ahead of us. Now, for those of us who've been financially supporting, like God would have us do, that's great. But it's time for all of us to do our part, to do the best we can to invest in his kingdom through this church. But this morning, I'm calling on the younger generation. I I used to like being a part of that. I'm I'm no longer a part of you anymore. In my first board meeting, Dave Mahalik was on the board. I told Dave, you have one job. Keep me young. You failed miserably, Dave. (laughs) You didn't do it. I'm calling on the younger generation. Go against the tide of culture. Go against the mentality of your generation. And start investing consistently and generously in the kingdom. Folks, if we all bring what we can, if we're willing to make some sacrifices, we can accomplish everything God wants us to accomplish. We're here today because there were a group of people at one point who were so passionate and they were great starters. And we need to pick up the torch And become good finishers. Consistent in our efforts and our giving and our sacrifice. I believe in this church. And I have a profound respect and appreciation for those who served before me and how God used them. But I want you to know 
that I would not be here. I would not spend one more day taking a salary from this church if I didn't believe that God still had a plan and a vision for this church. I can work anywhere. I'm not, well, not anywhere because most people don't want me anymore because I'm expired. But you know what I'm saying. I can work somewhere. Home Depot. I wouldn't be here one more day. I wouldn't take your money. I wouldn't fill that space. I wouldn't lead you one more day if I didn't believe that God still had a plan and vision for this church. Not one more day. I believe in this church. I believe in you. I believe in the vision that God has given us. And I want us to come together and do what it takes to make it unfold. That's what I want to see. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. I want you to know that I decided to share these things with you today because I believe it's important for you to know the truth. When my family is facing a situation, if there are changes to our financial situation, we'll have a family meeting. I'll sit down with my wife and kids, and we'll, Jennifer and I together, will explain, here's the situation right now. Here's what that means for us. So for the next little while, here's what's going to happen. Here's what we all need to do. We're a family. Families need to be aware of challenges, and we need to work together to bring things around. Now, I want to say this, and I've never said this in 30 years of ministry. Never, I'm saying a lot of things today that I've never done before. <coughs> well, I feel young. Some of you have an opportunity to do something today that most of us in this congregation cannot do even if we wanted to. Some of you, there may not be very many, you have the ability to make a significant investment in some of the areas that I outlined and wipe out these deficits. Some of you could solve the day camp problem with one check. Some of you can do that. And if you can, I'm asking you to considering do that. If you can, I'm asking you because you can. Ooh, it's real quiet. Some of you are struggling to make ends meet. And I'm going to challenge you this morning not to be trite or greedy or anything else. I'm going to challenge you to trust God. I'm going to challenge you to trust God. I'm going to challenge you to step out in faith, believing that if you are faithful with the little that you have, that God will meet your needs. And so I'm asking you to do it because you should. What EPC needs at this time in history is a wave of sacrificial generosity to infuse the necessary resources to be a part of something eternally impacting for God's kingdom. So we need the large gifts by those who can give to get us through the large setbacks. But that's not going to be the solution to our long-term viability. The long-term sustainability of evangel is dependent on all of us Every single one of us doing our best on an ongoing basis, week in and week out. And when we all do our best, money's not going to be a problem. Folks, it is only when our financial priorities align with kingdom priorities will we handle our finances in a way that declares that Jesus 
is the Lord of our lives. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to ask the ushers to put big buckets at the front of the church. I should. If I were in some other cultures, we'd be doing a second offering right about now. And by the way, it's not too late. We'll take your money anytime. But as we stand before the Lord this morning, let's allow the Spirit of God to challenge our hearts and lives. I have said this in my whole ministry, and I believe it to the bottom of my heart. When the people of God are in the right place spiritually with God, money is never an issue. I've seen it time and time again. Because when Jesus is Lord, and we're not hanging on to what we can't keep anyway, God's looking after our needs, and the ministry thrives, and and the Spirit of God is moving, and wonderful things are happening. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. And I'm challenging you this morning. Let the Spirit of God speak to your heart. What does God want you to do right now? It might simply be giving $5 more than you gave before. And even that's a stretch for you. It might be something much more significant than that. But I don't want you to respond to me this morning. I want you to respond to the prompting of the Spirit and the truth of God's Word. That's what we need to do. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come and perhaps you're here this morning and there's a need in your life and you need someone to pray with you. That's what this church community is about. Come alongside you and standing with you and praying for you and encouraging you. And we're going to do that this morning. But as our worship team leads us, I don't want to dismiss us yet. My goodness, I finished like a 30 minutes early. I know, right? I think you actually finished early. I just kind of went my whole time. Take some time. Allow the Spirit to speak to your heart this morning. Father, that's our declaration and our testimony this morning. Everything you are is everything we need. You provide for us the greatest of all, a personal relationship with you through Jesus Christ. You provide for us in your everyday care. You provide for us in our families, in our marriages, in our work. And Father, I just thank you this morning that everything we need, we find in you. And God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for 50 plus years of faithful service, faithful giving, sacrificial investment, believing that the kingdom of God is advancing in this community, in our little neighborhood. And God, we thank you that we have this privilege in this season to walk with this community and to shine the light and be the salt of Jesus. And Father, I pray, and we lay before you this morning any challenges, every setback, And we say like Hezekiah of old, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Our eyes are on you. You're the one. And so work through us. Whatever it is, Lord, help us be the ones who say, use me, Lord. Work through me, Lord. Father, thank you for the rich history, but thank you for a future that we can't even begin to dream 
about how exciting and wonderful it can be for the kingdom of God. So Lord, would you ignite our hearts afresh so that, Lord, the things in our lives that we give value to are not the things that have no eternal value, but they'll be things that will live on eternally through the lives we see changed, the lives we touch, the glory that's given to you. We pray these things as we leave this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here this morning.